Hello and welcome to the Total Mental Performance Podcast, the one and only mindset podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs and coaches master their mindset, giving you insider access to industry leaders around their psychology, their campfire stories, and the mindset required to be successful in this business. I'm your host, Kieran O'Neill, mental performance coach and founder of Total Mental Performance, the world's fastest growing specialist mindset service dedicated to the fitness industry. So without further ado, let's lean in and listen. Yes, yes, team. Welcome to another episode of the Total Mental Performance Podcast. Today, we have Connor Carlson. He's the co-founder of Team Accomplish. And I encountered Connor on one of my recent travels, and it was at Mark Coles' Dubai live event. And he was up on stage with his partner, explaining his story as to the coaching business that he's built, the background behind that. And you all know me by now. I follow my interest. I follow interesting things and people and just try and find those conversations I feel like that will benefit you guys. So Connor, mate, welcome to the Total Mental Performance Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I must just say, a huge fan of what you do. And I think in the industry today, what I've noticed with coaches and kind of seeing kind of what goes on online, the work that they put in, having someone like you to kind of spread the message that you do, so important. So Huge respect and thanks for having me. Oh man, that means the absolute world. Thank you so much for that. So if you could just give our audience a little bit of background, mm-hmm. who is Connor? What does he do? Yeah, yeah. So for me, starting out, fitness was always quite a huge thing. So basically went to a rugby school, tried my best to get as good as I could at, at rugby and just didn't really have the, the talent to crack into the first team. And I was someone who was a really hard worker, really determined, really disciplined, and I just couldn't break through in terms of my like skill level. So I said, okay, what can I do? And I was introduced to the gym. The gym was really used. Could this be the aspect that got me better at rugby? And in fact, it really turned out to be something that built more of a passion in me. And what I quickly found out was it was something I could do somewhere I could go where no one was there to tell me I wasn't good enough. No one was there to tell me you're not picked this week. You, Mm. You have to go home. I could show up, put in the skills that I had, which was hard work, discipline, dedication, consistency. And I got a massive return from that. So I was like, well, mm. I think I found something that I'm actually good at. And that's really where that kind of passion built. And then from that kind of naturally, when I've been seeing my physique improve, my own mel- mental health improve, wanting to share that with others and say, okay, I found this little thing mm. that, that is great for me. I'd love to kind of share that with others. So As young as 17, I actually did a personal training qualification. So I I was still in secondary school um, in Ireland. After school study, um, (laughs) went to personal training course in my my uniform. Everyone was like in their 30s and 40s, I coming in my uniform. So that kind of, that was ingrained in me from quite an early age that that I wanted to help people. From that, I went on to do sports and exercise science in UL. Um, so that, that was back in 2014 and did my four years there. And during that time, I actually started um, Team Accomplish. So it was within, I think, year two, year three. I was actually on placement for, for work and I had way too much spare time. And I was just <laughs> sitting, at, sitting at the computer and I was like, I, I'm bored of YouTube. <laughs> so I was like, I, I need to do something. And it was at a point where I had a few friends kind of asking me for plans and, and doing stuff like that. And I was kind of just doing it for free because I didn't really have a service behind it. And that's when I was like, okay, we need to kind of establish something and, and begin something because I know I can be really, really good at it. Um, so that's in essence, like, hey, what's there it is, pretty much. Amazing, man. And I remember you, you had this opportunity when you were speaking on stage 
about you had a big career offer. Mm. So what was it that you was actually doing for for work, and what was the offer that you turned down? Yeah, yeah. So I actually went to do a master's in sports business, pretty much. And at that point, I kind of got to the point where the business side of things was nearly just as appealing to me as the sports side of things. So the idea of leadership, um, like just hearing about like the CEO role and stuff like that. So I I kind of had this idea that, okay, I'd love obviously to have like a leadership role within sport and maybe kind of go down that mm. route. But if I got a leadership role outside of sport, I'd still be pre- yeah. pretty okay with it. So there was um, a graduate program that, that was going at the time. And it was for like an area manager of a few like retail stores, quite big in Ireland. And I was in like the final round of interviewing for it. And like at that point, I think salary was like 70,000 a year, exceeding up to like past 100 after year three, company care, everything looked after. So me being was it 23, 24, like that, that was qu- quite appealing. Uh, so I was very, very close to doing it. And it was actually only, I remember, I remember really well, Christmas Day, uh, I was in with my family and I was speaking to my uncle who, who was quite a good businessman and thought he'd be delighted for me. I was like, yes, he's going to be proud. Amazing. And I told him and he's like, ooh, he's like, I don't mm. know about that. He's like, just to let you know, you are someone who is going to be working a lot for, for someone else. You're going to have a lot of time spending a lot of time working for someone else. So just keep that in mind. He's like, it might sound appealing, but like your life is now theirs. And I suppose at that point, I was building a life that was solely focused around me. Yes, it wasn't like full time in terms of what I was doing from a coaching standpoint, because I was still doing my master's and stuff like that. But it was still kind of solely focused on me. So I kind of went home and initially was disappointed, but it did leave it plant a seed in my head that said, OK, I don't want to look back in a few years and say, like, what if I, I tried more I would accomplish? What if I like pursued that full time? I'd rather say I tried and I could, I could pick this up at a different time. So I decided I wouldn't go into that final round of interview. And that next day, my might, mindset shift where accomplished was just this like part-time thing to this, I'm going to try and make full-time. And that's pretty much how that kind of unfolded. Amazing. And there's two things in there that are really interesting. Number one is the allure of a job and a career and the safety that that provides. And entrepreneurship is inherently uncertain. Mm-hmm. So when you get that feedback of, oh, careful, mm. as an entrepreneur speaking, mm. you're sure you want to take the paycheck. Mm-hmm. And at, when you're much younger, you're like, well, fuck yeah, I want a car and I'll take the paycheck. <laughs> oh, I want it now. I don't want to wait. <laughs> but to get that feedback is actually really valuable because mm. your life could have gone a completely different route. Mm-hmm. The second part, which you mentioned there, was about working for free. Mm-hmm. So I worked for free for ages mm. on a number of different things. Mm-hmm. I got my first job um, selling software when I was 17 by meeting the CEO and saying, hey, um, this business I run failed because I didn't know how to sell corporate. So could I come and work for free for the summer and learn how to sell corporate? Mm-hmm. And he went, I like that. Let me give you an interview. And then he gave me a paid role. Mm-hmm. Even my coaching now, I coached, I think, 20 people for free at least. And as I was studying, the, the founder of the course told me that I had done the most practice sessions at anyone across any. I was doing five to six practice sessions a week. So by mm-hmm. the end of the course, I'd actually done more hours than a lot of therapists and cognitive hypnotherapists mm-hmm. at the, their first year of, of even like doing business. Mm-hmm. I think it's an underrated skill. So if there's a coach that's out there that's that's really starting out, don't be afraid to to work with five, 10 people for free. Because what you'll find is eventually they'll, they'll be so blown away. I don't know about you, but my clients all started paying me, the ones I was working mm-hmm. for free. And then they started referring people. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, organically, you've got the evidence, you've got the confidence, you've got the proof and you can take those risks. Yeah, That's awesome, mate. Yeah. yeah. So 
Where's team accomplished today in terms of the number of clients that you're coaching roughly, the team that you've got set up? I know you've got a team of coaches because that's quite a long journey, you know. That wasn't, you said you started it in 2014. A lot of coaches will be looking at you now going, wow, he's, 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 he's blown up overnight. Yeah. That's not been overnight. You've been grafting, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it was actually the sports science of 2014. Okay. So during that time, I think it was year three was um, when Accomplish was born, which was 2017. Mm. So March of 2017, but still quite a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, with that, so it was very much, I think for 2017, 2018 and 2019, it was this thing I could do where there wasn't too much pressure on it because yeah, yeah. I was in university. Kate, my partner, uh, co-founder, was actually still working full time within the hospital. So I always say that to individuals when, when they're starting out. I'm like, if you can start with no pressure, I believe it will, you'll get the most success from that because I feel a lot of people now start and they may see online like numbers they should be hitting or this mm. and that. And that pressure that comes with that can lead to kind of sloppy service, just poor standards. I think what was great with us, we didn't really care. Mm. All we wanted to do was help people. Yeah. All I wanted to be known for was having like the best transformations, the best results. Didn't really care about revenue. I was like, that's not that's not even my thing. I want to be like a really respected coach. I want to be known as the guy who gets like the best results. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you start, if you look at it's it's the same with anything. Like if you if you see that like more about the process, like the outcome will take care of itself. So like get into things for the right reasons, do things for the right reasons, and the outcome in terms of whatever gain in terms of clients, financial, like that all takes takes care of itself. You know. So I think that was one of the key driving force in terms of our success mm. with that. 2017, 2018, 2019. So I think at the end of 2019, I'd say we had about 70-ish clients. So that's at the point where we're like, okay, I think let's try a full time. I think we're kind of at the point now where we could. That led to 2020, which is actually re- really interesting. We were planning to potentially move to Dubai in 2020 because mm-hmm. that was the only way I could get Kate out of her job, yeah, full-time yeah. job, because I was at a point, I finished a master's, I wanted to do it full time. She was like five or six years in the hospital. So it took a lot to kind of get her, to convince her to leave that role, pension, everything mm. like that. So moving away was like the only way I could kind of get yeah. her attention. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was kind of the initial plan. But then obviously COVID happened. And with that, we obviously didn't move. But it was nearly the best thing that ever happened to us because financially we were not in a position to move to Dubai then. But that gave us one year of pure graft. I was literally in my room the whole, whole day, every day, because there's nothing else to do, just, just grafting away, mm. doing what, what I had to do. And that actually led us to be in a position to kind of take things to the next level next year, hiring a coach, moving to Dubai, everything like that. So that was kind of like the transition in, in terms of like growth, in terms of like where we are today. So we have a team in, in terms of coaching team, five of us. Uh, so myself, Kate, and then we have three amazing coaches, Kean, Declan and Nadine. With that, from, from a client base, around like the 250, 250 clients in, in terms of what we're doing currently. So, yeah. And then I, I think a team outside of that, like, like you know, how we ensure we're giving the best marketing, getting the best kind of systems in the background, everything like that. So there is a bigger team outside of that. But from the coaching front, uh, that's pretty much how it's looking. Love that. And that's been a, we have quite similar values insofar as, doing the right thing mm-hmm. so i i didn't get into what i'm doing to to get paid mm-hmm. because i can make a hell of a lot more money selling software yeah. which like i used to do and uh 
I think when you do it because you love it and when you do it just because that's just inherently what I was put here to do, mm-hmm. the rest of it always follows. Mm-hmm. And as long as you deliver, I think many, my view is there's two parts of coaching. There's the delivery of coaching and then there's the business of coaching. Yeah. And so many early coaches get stuck on the business of coaching. Mm-hmm. They forget about the delivery. Or on the flip side, you get coaches that are highly educated, yes. get incredible results but they don't respect the business of coaching. Mm. So then they believe that they're entitled to a coaching career. Like, well, I'm much better than that coach. Yeah. They have more clients than me. What's that about? Yeah. You have to, if you really want to be a successful fitness entrepreneur, like you are, you've got to be good at both. Yes. You've got to understand, I've got to fucking deliver, mm. but I've also got to build a, a business and a, and a mechanism that enables those results to go. And if you want to scale, and some coaches don't, but for those that do, you need to understand that you've got to get good at both and you've done a really good job at, at getting... Yeah getting good at both. I think a big thing there was actually positive with myself and Kay was like understanding our strengths. So I think that's something we learned over the years. We are both trying to do 50-50 everything. Everything's 50-50. Everything's 50-50. Even though we did have our own strengths, but we didn't highlight those. So that's something that kind of changed over the last year, which which has really helped things. Kay's a lot more on like the coaching service, fulfillment, loves it. And I'm more on like the business side, the kind of scaling side of it uh, and everything like that. She has no interest in that really, just wants to kind of coach. And I, I, I have a kind of preferred interest in that of more recent. So it, it, it kind of works quite well having that that blend between us. Uh, but but I think what you said 100%, like I know amazing coaches charging 10 times less than some other coaches and they're way more educated and they, one, they may not value themselves, which, which I think is hugely, hugely important. And I actually had had this a bit of a tangent, but I had this conversation with a coach when he, he said to me, struggling to increase his prices he's like they're all they're doing they're checking in once a week like i don't see how my prices can be more than what they are and i was like they're not paying you for the check mm. i was like over the last 10 years write down everything that you've accomplished everything that you've achieved from your physique standpoint coaching standpoint every life that you transformed write it out on an a4 page look at that page and that's your value Do you know it's not the check-in that's your value like that's what mm. someone's paying for and I, I think that's a very good way to look at things if you are someone who's struggling to find the value in yourself. 100%. And uh, you got to get out of the mindset of time for money because when you're on the gym floor, it's like, okay, you get one hour of me and you get this bit. And, mm-hmm. and that's how people think. They're not paying you for how long you spend on the check and they're paying you for a result. Mm-hmm. And that result is often worth a lot more than what coaches give credits themselves. Mm-hmm. And I love that building an A4 page of your, your accomplishments and, uh, a way you can build on that even further is write down an A4 page of all of your fuck ups, mm. everything that's gone wrong, the pain, the chaos. Cause mm. if you think about, you know, as a coach, you're not just getting the wins, you're getting the fucking losses mm. and you're going to avoid those losses because I've been through those losses. And then on top of that, then time and financial investments. So mm. how much have you spent studying or financially, how much have you invested in, in courses or going on, on masterminds or, or whatever? And what you find is once you've done those three, you get to the end of it and you go, yeah, I'm, I'm charging far too little you mm-hmm. know um there's something you said there about you and kate it sounds like there's a really beautiful complementary side mm. one's in delivery one's in the business of coaching mm-hmm. but it probably wasn't always like that mm. i can't imagine it to be too easy when there's isn't those clear roles to be running a business with your partner what would you say the biggest struggles with that would have been for you guys mm. yeah so I, I don't think she'd mind me saying i think it was probably more on my end wanting to like if we signed up with a new mastermind or a new mentor, either one or just invested in the content or like on the calls or doing the ta- tasks after, 
And I was like, like why, why aren't you more excited about it? Why aren't you, do you know, and it just wasn't of interest to her. So at that point, the best thing we could have done was kind of have, sit down and say, okay, there's some stuff I'm doing right now that I could not do and you would be happy to do, which would give me more energy and more time to focus on this because you clearly don't want to. So I think that was probably the biggest learning curve for us. And if I went back or if I gave anyone advice, it's kind of identifying those clear roles. If there is more than one of you in the business and you do feel there's, you know, things that aren't running as smoothly as they could be, like sitting down, communicating, saying, okay, list all the things you want to do. I'll list all the things I want to do. If there's things neither of us want to do, like let's delegate, let, let's hire someone to do it. And yeah, that's probably was one of the biggest learning curves with that. Yeah. And you know, if you're not a solo founder and you have a partner, both of your needs and values might change over time. And it's making sure you're constantly checking in and going, right, well, do you still want to be doing that bit or do you want to do something else? Is that still the direction that you want to get to? And I think that's, I see entrepreneurs that, that have a, a founding team. It's tricky, but at the same time, what you have with, with you and Kate is an inherent level of trust. And you know, right, well, I can trust with everything and you can send that over, yeah. you know, and that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're definitely lucky in, in that regard. And I think with, with us having such trust within ourselves, I think then when it comes to delegating, that, that can get more challenging because you, you're used to such a level of trust, trying to trust in someone else can take, take some time, but, but it's definitely something for like where we want to bring, a, accomplish something we have to get a lot better at still like uh, we're still at a point where like there be like another two or three hires I'd love to have like within the next six to 12 months. But again, it's like finding the right people. And I think, you know, it's not just someone can look good on, on paper in terms of what they, they do. For me, the big thing is like their, their values, like how they kind of lead from the front, how they set an example. And that's really, really important. And that's something when picking our coaches who are all clients of ours, uh, we could kind of see, they didn't just t talk it like they, they were able to walk and do do what they're what they're saying and that, that's like really important for us yeah and that's the challenge that we've got um we sacrifice scale due to our standard of hiring mm. so we have our own very, very own kate she's mm. got a phd in organizational psychology 20 years business management experience uh she's an incredible therapist cognitive hypnotherapist uh, nlp practitioner and we've trained her as well on the performance side mm key thing with TMP is we're not just the therapy, fluffy, emotional stuff, mm. but we've got some really solid business backgrounds. Mm. Uh, Dan Martin, he's got nine years financial sales and management experience of leading teams. On top of that, again, therapist, cognitive hypnotherapist, mm. NLP practitioner. So for us, it's really important that you find people that have those, those values mm. of we want to help the world. We want, we're, we're obsessed with performance. We're obsessed mm. with how can we get people thinking on a on a different league and a different level but at the same time really gives a shit about people and mm. really wants to look after people mm. and believe it or not that's quite hard to find yeah. so for us it's exactly the same if we don't they don't have the values and and the the experience that we need yeah. we're quite happy to sacrifice how quickly we scale yeah. and if that has to be stretched out a little bit longer whilst we find the right people at the right time and you're never gonna make perfect guys there'll be some people that you think they are and then quickly you realize this isn't going to be the fit. And deep down, they know that too. But for us, we're, we're happier to slow down on hiring mm -hmm. to find, there's never a perfect hire, but to find the right ones yeah. versus flooding the market with, with mental performance coaches and, and, and what we do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think 
just on that from team accomplishes perspective i think like now if you kind of look in the fitness coaches you see like the like competition prep or prep coaches versus like lifestyle coaches Mm. i like to say we're like somewhere in the middle and why i say that the way i like to set up and any consultation call that i have it's like we're only here to help you towards your goal i think that can be like misunderstood by coaches sometimes they get a new client on board and say, like, okay, what do I think they should do? Mm. How can they help my business in terms of a result and everything like that? So something like that for us is what I always say is like between now and the day you leave, I don't really care what happens in between. Once at the end you say, this is the best decision you ever made. We completely change your life and you couldn't be happier. What happens in between actually doesn't matter. So if you look on our Instagram, incredible results and you might say we have this like army boot camp approach but it's actually not like that at all it's we want to work with individuals we want to bring a more relationship not a dictatorship role and understand each and every one if that was in march getting robin ready to win ifbb pro card the next week or chatting that exact same day to an individual who is just looking to get back into the gym they have been out of action for four or five months they're still wanting to enjoy social events how can you coach both of those two people? You have the same philosophy, you have the same values, but you know how to work with each individual person. And that's really important. I've spoken to a few people who are getting pushed down a path that necessarily they don't want to go, but the coach wants to bring them because that's their style of coaching and what they do. And for me, what I think bring makes a really good coach and your side of things or my side of things, it's what does this person need from me and how can I help them? A hundred percent. And it's coaching in your client's model of the world, mm. not in your model of the world. Mm-hmm. So we see this all the time in mindset and mental performance coaching, for example. If I, let's say you say, oh, I'm nervous about public speaking. Mm. In my head, I think this guy wants to feel confident, but actually you might want to feel calm. Mm. So if I push, well, I'm going to try and build this guy's confidence when actually I'm confident, I just need to calm down a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. So what, what you're saying there is, is just evidence of world-class coaching, which is, it's not about you. Mm. It's not about what you feel comfortable doing. Mm. It's about what the client wants. Mm. And if the client says something that you can't provide, you're better off going, you know what? We're not the ones for you. Yeah. Let me point you in the right direction versus anything else. Yeah, 100%. I, I think that's something that <clears throat> can be quite mi- misunderstood right now. Uh, and it's something I always want to get across. Even like people like, oh, just to let you know, I don't, because we help people like do photo shoots or compete. And they're like, oh, just to let you know, like, I don't want to compete. And you know, almost like, I'm like, you don't have to tell mm. me that. Like, don't worry. Like, this is, this is all about you. Like, whatever you need. And again, yes, it's great to have like a niche and people you want to work with hundred percent. But I think like one of the main things is like, cause they're like, let's get it right. There's people out there who have a passion about bodybuilding, want to compete in the future. But right now they're not at that point in their life. Yeah. They're going through high emotion, high stress, yeah. and they don't need to be treated like a prep client right now. So they're still a bodybuilding client. They still have that drive, that passion, and they do still want to work within a brand like yours. But right now they don't need that. Yeah. They, they need something else, you know, and being able to actually understand that and recognize that, I, I think is incredibly valuable, really. And underrated as well. Yeah. And underrated. So mate, look, there'll be a lot of people that look up to you and they'll go, yeah, but Connor's got it all figured out. Like, 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 you know, he's just, he's got there, he's done the work, you know, he, he must find this stuff easy. Mm. Those will be things that you find difficult. Mm. I'd love if you feel comfortable to do that, to open up and share, like from today, what do you find tricky from an emotional, mental performance mindset perspective? Mm. Yeah, good question. I think as your roles change, I, I think you probably find different, different areas challenging. 
So, you know, starting out, that could be very much, I think, yeah, I think in terms of roles, like, I'd feel like most pressure around that. So when, you know, I had like nearly 100% of the clients or 90%, like, okay, what level of transformations are we getting? How's everyone doing? How's drop-off rate? Mm. How is show-up rates of check-ins and stuff like that? Like, that would have been if someone dropped off or someone missed a few check-ins. Like, that would have been, like, the main thing for me. As my roles kind of change over time, and with that, we can kind of get in different areas. So now I definitely do feel a pressure around in terms of getting new clients on board because we're not just a team of two of us anymore. We have mm. three coaches. We have about like 10 or 12 people overall that has a that has a bill to go out at the end of the month. And with that, I feel pressure to ensure everything gets sorted, that when we're deciding to scale, when we hire someone else, and like, okay, I need to make sure there's a return on it on the mm. back end in terms of what I do. So so that's definitely something in terms of that can be challenging, can be pressuring. So yeah, I, I think that that area of kind of feeling pressure on what my biggest involvement is at that time, if that makes sense. Is that enough detail? And is that and would you say pressure is the emotion that that comes up when you're thinking about those things, or is it something else? Like is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it excitement? Is it is it all of them? Like what would you say are the emotions that come up during that? Okay, so what would you say when you're at a point and you've had you've had a really successful month and then a new month begins and you're like, oh, I have to match that or like that's the new mm. standard. How do we get there again? I think that, I think I've probably been living in that bubble because we've pretty much like progressed month on month and kind of going into a new month instead of being like, wow, that was an amazing month we've achieved. It's more so, oh God, how do, how do we mm. do that again? Interesting. So I, I'd never be at a point where we finish a month and I'm like, oh, like let's just take a few days to chill. Because if we take those few days to chill, I'm like, oh God, this month won't progress on the last month. Mm. So I think that's like a huge thing for me would be that idea of constant progress. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. But yeah, that's probably what I'm kind of grade in me. Like every month has to see improvement. And that probably anxiety, anxiousness at the beginning of a month. Like, let's say if the first two days are like a weekend mm. and if, if I'm not like working as much, so I'm like, okay, it's the third of the month and like, how are we going to get to there? So yeah, that would probably be like something I'd be yeah. challenged well, with. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And if you're open to to exploring that, there's some really interesting lessons and some, some frames in there, which yeah. I think the listeners could really pick up on. Mm-hmm. With that anxiety that comes up, that pressure, mm-hmm. So I used to, I spent six years of that. So it, when your job is to sell, yeah, your number, you walk into a sales office yeah. and you could see everyone's numbers on the wall. Yeah. Everyone. Every, and you could see who's number one, who's number two, and who's number three. Mm-hmm. You also understand how the commission works. You understand how much money everyone's making. Yeah. High pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so not only are you competing with yourself, you're competing with everyone else. Yeah. And as soon as you get back to first day of the month, everyone's back down to zero. Mm-hmm. So there's a few things there which I think will help just calm that down. Mm-hmm. Number one is looking at quarters. And what I found is when I started looking at quarters, mm-hmm. did this quarter beat that quarter? I started to breathe a lot more. Yeah. Because I have a lot more runway. Yes. So that that all of a sudden your time frame's gone from 30 days to 90 days. What I also learned was when I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to hit those numbers every single month, uh, I was overworking and my sore wasn't as sharp. And often what happens is with entrepreneurs that are highly driven is they associate how hard and how much they work to the financial number that they make. Mm. 
And that works really early on, right? Because you're like, well, if I send more posts or I send yeah. out more outbounds, I get more clients. But as you start to grow into that leadership position, it's more about the chessboard. It's overseeing the strategic view and actually perhaps making more moves isn't the move. Perhaps it's making one or two more strategic yeah. moves. There's a really good book called The Luck Factor. And The Luck Factor studies the psychology of luck. People that consider themselves lucky versus unlucky. Incredible book. Richard Meisman was the guy that did it. He spent 10 years studying just luck. What a fascinating way to live your life, right? One of the things he noticed was very successful and lucky people had more time than others. So all that meant was they could spot more opportunities. Mm. So if you're constantly stuck in the, well, what about this, the revenue this month, this month, this month, this month, this month, what you're missing out on is the potential long-term view of, well, the whole market's going right. Yeah. Why don't we go left? Mm. Or actually, now that I'm breathing, I can spot that this system isn't actually working, but it's just because it's the only way we've always, we've always done it. And what I typically tend to find is that anxiety for me anyway, I don't know if it resonates with you, was always, I was pinning a lot of my enoughness on growth and you get addicted to growth. Mm. You get addicted to, well, month on month, quarter on quarter. How is that getting on? For me, it'd be boxing matches as well. I'd be obsessed watching the tapes. Do I look better? Do I look stronger? Do I look sharper? Do my, do my techniques look much better? Uh, and then eventually it was my six pack. Because I, I used to be 56 kilos, the same height I am now. So you could literally see everything. Do I look lean enough? Am I lean enough? Am I not? Am I, am I, am I oh, what's going on? Mm. And typically that came down to me pinning my, my enoughness on the level of growth. And what I tend to find is once I start to understand where does that come from, uh, like you, I didn't get picked up when I played football. Mm. My team was bottom of the bottom league. Everybody listening to the podcast is fed up with this story. Glee's <laughs> little wound, but my, my football team was bottom of the bottom league. My dad was the manager and he still benched me every game. So that created this, I need to push. I need to show progress. I need to show that I'm enough. So you move to boxing. Just like for you, the gym was your safe space. Yeah. The boxing gym was my safe space. Mm. Nobody could, could not, not pick me. It was mm. like, right, well, that's, that's where I go. So I always advise clients that are, that gets stuck in that, well, what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next? Well, what's driving that anxiety? Because mm -hmm. we have so much inner wisdom. We have so much strategic levels of thinking that just get clouded by these thoughts and these pressures. And often what happens is when you start to shift that and you start thinking in a completely different way, you start to spot opportunities so you can actually achieve more with less. But there's always the fear. I don't know if you've had the same fear, which is, yeah, but if I slow down, my business will slow down. Mm. If I slow down, we're not going to continue to grow. And it's like this catch-22. I call it the overachievers paradox. What got me here, I don't want to let that go because I don't want to go backwards. But often what gets us to one level isn't what's going to take us to the, to the next level. So as I say that, how does that land? Is it like, okay, yeah, I can see that. Or is it like, no, dude, that's a complete swing and a miss. And I get it. No, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely get where you're coming from. And it's, it's a weird one where I'm at because I'm, it's like, a, I know, I know this stuff. It's almost like I'm in a transitionary period where like right now I'm taking all consultation calls, as I mentioned to you before the podcast, and I want to get to the point like next year where I'm taking none. Mm. So it's like, I don't actually think me doing the stuff and me doing more will get me there. Like I can actually see a role where I'm working like two hours a day would accomplish and just looking over everything and things being going like superbly well. But it's like, I won't feel comfortable to be at that point until I kind of go through the trenches mm. of what I'm going through this year, yeah. of all the hard, hardships that can come with that, all the kind of pressure that can come with that, all the success that can come with that. Because when I then look to get someone on board, I'm not just talking from what, what I think, I'm talking from what I know. Mm. And it was almost the case of the three amazing coaches that we have now. I felt to get them to the level that they're at, 
for me being through the years of coaching where I had all the highs, all the lows, I could teach them in that way. So it was nearly like a, it was nearly like a natural, not really meaning to kind of live in, in that way. But from that saying, okay, like I, I want to put myself through everything. If I, like as Matt Cole said, which I love, like scale your impact. If I go on and do that, I want to have kind of been there, put myself through the and it actually comes back to clients, you know, mm. it comes back to clients because from that's, that's what I embodied from a coach perspective. I only want to work with people where I've been there before, where I've been going through a fat loss phase or a building phase. And I know exactly how they feel, what they've gone through, and I can give them the most amount of value. So that then moves from clients to coaches mm. and then coaches to kind of like other areas of the business. So it's like, I understand the idea of kind of moving out, but I almost feel like a responsibility or a role to kind of put myself through this where I'll have more freedom in the future. That mm. makes sense. Yeah, 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 that mm. makes sense. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you uh, so much for coming on. Yeah. I have one question I ask all guests. Forget us as an organization, forget everything about TMP, mm. but what does the phrase itself, total mental performance, mean to you? If you had total mental performance, how would you know? Oh, great, great question. Total mental performance to me means being able to critically think with no emotion involved and make decisions on what is the best interest to you and embodies the values that you have as an individual. Absolutely fucking love that, mate. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Where can everyone find you? Yeah, so for me, where you can find me is on Instagram, Connor underscore Team Accomplish, or you can find kind of cl clients on at Team underscore Accomplish. We also have a YouTube channel, Team Accomplish, and we, we do have a private Facebook group as well, which is mostly directed at females at the moment. But so if there's any females that are listening, we do have a Facebook group as well. So yeah, that's pretty much everything. Oh, and thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure, mate. Thank you so much. So that's us for today, team. I want to say a huge thank you for spending this portion of your life listening to us. A couple of things before you disappear. If you're not already following us on Instagram, you can find all of our daily content on mindset and hitting peak performance at Total Mental Performance or our website, www.totalmentalperformance.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You'll find us on Spotify, uh, the Apple Podcasts, and all the other various different platforms. Big love. Thank you ever so much. And we're looking forward to speaking with you soon.